0: Hello, and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, current president of Reed Scholars. Today, we are joined by Ms. Kanika Young, originally from Montgomery, Alabama. She currently rela- resides in Nashville, Tennessee. She serves as Senior Director of Health Policy and Advocacy at the Tennessee Justice Center. She received her undergraduate degree from Florida A&M before completing her law degree at Tulane in New Orleans. After graduating, she began her law practice with Bass, Berry, and Sims, where she became a partner. In 2017, her passion drew her to advocacy and social justice work. Her work seeks to improve the safety net for Tennessee's most vulnerable populations. Hello and welcome, Kanika, how are you today?
1: Hello, thank you for having me, Dr. Fleming, I'm doing well, how are you? I'm good, I'm
0: good. Um, I'm excited about our conversation today and you know part of the thing uh, I mean there are many very very many interesting things about you but in the context of this conversation one of the things I think our listeners would be most interested um, to learn about you is your transition from being um, a a law partner to um, social justice and advocacy work so can you tell us you know what uh, prompted that that transition and and what led you specifically to the Tennessee Justice Center
1: Sure. So um, I started feeling like uh, social justice issues were really important to focus on um, around 2016. Um, Probably starting in the summer of 2016, there was a lot of uh, news being reported about um, racial injustice and issues concerning uh, access to basic needs and resources for marginalized groups, and I really started feeling that social justice work is something that um, I was called to do, and then um, the presidential election happened in November of 2016, and I really felt like it was a call to action for people to really start um, advocating for things that they believe in, not necessarily necessarily quitting their jobs, but just starting to be more um, engaged civically. So maybe donating to organizations that are working on issues that are important to you. And so um, prior to that time, I became familiar with the Tennessee Justice Center through a leadership program that I did uh, with the Tennessee Bar Association. And I met a staff attorney who was there, as well as the executive director, and learned a lot about the organization. And I really identified with their mission. And so I had began by um, donating to their cause, as well as um, I handled a pro bono case for one of their clients. And so I was familiar with the organization. And then when I started uh, feeling that I could put my legal skills to use in a social justice focused way, then it just naturally. Uh, occurred to me that Tennessee Justice Center may be a place where I could uh, make a difference. And so I reached out to the executive director and inquired about any job opportunities. And at that point, there was nothing posted, but um, she informed me that they were were contacted by uh, a foundation that really wanted to focus on children's health and improving the health safety net for kids, um, low-income kids who um, needed access to health insurance. And she asked if I was interested in working on that. And I said, sure. So I uh, left the firm in March of 2017 and started at the Tennessee Justice Center in April.
0: That's awesome. I, I, um, I like the way you described that it. it doesn't have to be all or nothing at the beginning, right? So I think, you know, when we talk to a lot of people around transitioning and not always necessarily feeling frustrated, but knowing that their, their life's work might uh, need to take a different direction. Um, as you mentioned, you don't have to quit today, but uh, kind of putting your toe in the water, learning more about organization, seeing how you can get involved and seeing if it's a right fit before you transition over. So I think that was a great example. Um, and, and speaking, you talked a lot about um, learning more about the social justice and health equity component uh, of work in Tennessee. And so I know recently the Tennessee Justice Center had a podcast on on health equity and really um, talked about, I mean, it, it was great. It was very comprehensive um, in talking about health disparities and broadly, but also with Tennessee specifically. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about that transition? What have you learned about health equity uh, since you've been at the Tennessee? I see Justice Center, what stands out the most to you? Um, You know, what do you feel, you know, is driving your your passions right now?
1: Sure, so I've learned a whole lot
0: um, (laughs) to say
1: the least since I've joined TJC, um, specifically about public benefit programs and the role of those programs in lifting people out of poverty. And also the underlying, issues and systemic barriers that keep people in poverty generation after generation. Um, I've learned a lot about adverse childhood experiences and the role that they play in adverse health outcomes um, showing up in adulthood Um, and I've learned a lot about the role of racism in the systems that we are still perpetuating today and how that can show up in different ways that people don't always um, realize and so it's been really eye-opening to me to learn about historical policies and um, programs that had been put into place many years ago and how racism was infused in those programs from the beginning and we're still struggling to adapt and overcome those issues for example Um, the redlining policies that occurred in the 1930s, where um, neighborhoods literally had lines drawn around them indicating whether they were desirable from an investment standpoint. And if you wanted to obtain a mortgage or business loan to invest in a community that had been redlined, you couldn't. Um, Banks would not um, finance those um, ventures. And so, you see that that happened in primarily communities of color. And so today we still see that neighborhoods are largely segregated by race and the communities that had been redlined lack resources. They lack employment opportunities. They lack uh, schools that are sufficiently funded. They lack grocery stores. They lack financial institutions. And so that policy still impacts people's lives to this day. And it's something that, I had never really paid much attention to. If I learned about it in school, I had forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, seeing how neighborhoods look today and how people who are born into certain situations have a harder time overcoming those things because of the systemic barriers is something that was really eye-opening to me and also infuriating. Um, and so I just really want to educate people about these things and in the hopes of not repeating history because today we're talking about you know how to recover from this huge economic decline and and other issues that have been caused by the pandemic and when you see governments talk about things like property tax increases just across the board increases to make up for short shortfalls in your budgets and you look at how that would impact lower income communities, and there's really no uh, protection for them. And so years from today, we may see more people who are um, renters instead of homeowners, because they could no longer afford their property tax on their homes, and how that impacts um, wealth generation for many years to come. And so yeah, I just, I've learned a whole lot about how these systems are connected in terms of the healthcare system, the education system, the um, retail system, like employment opportunities, everything kind of converges um, together when you are dealing with um, people's lives and how they can navigate these uh, systems and the barriers that have been put in place for years and even today.
0: Indeed. I think, you know, the, the more you, you learn about, um, you know, health disparities. You know, we and, and I, I think when I first started learning the terminology around health disparities, health disparities, and um, some of it is is eye opening because it reflects on your own lived experience, right? And you're like, oh, that's why those things <laughs> happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then you learn more vocabulary around it, and then you learn the history behind it. You know, it it goes from eye opening to, like you said, I mean, it can be really infuriating sometimes. And I think it it is important that now. Um, since we're, you know, health disparities have kind of made it to the main stage, right? So there have been those of us who have been talking about it for years, but um, now that it seems to be at least front and center uh, of on a lot of people's uh, minds and in a lot of different conversations right now, I think it is important that we try our best to uh, not uh, repeat the past, right? And so, I mean, and, and kind of talking about that, I'm um, talking about the pandemic and COVID-19, and um, what, you know what specifically uh, do you think or what are you working on in Tennessee to try to, um, to pre- well, more so, what are you trying to do to help people in the future? What What is COVID-19 unearthed, if you will, in Tennessee, and, and what is the, the justice system working on right now?
1: Well, at uh, the Tennessee Justice Center, we have been focused on Medicaid expansion as a policy solution ever since the Affordable Care Act was passed and it became an option for states to do that. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't uniformly adopted adopted, um, because of the Supreme Court decision that left it up to states. And you see history repeating itself because it's the southern states primarily that have chosen not to adopt Medicaid expansion and 46% of the entire Black population in the U.S. reside in the Southern states. And so it's really um, eye-opening and and, um, it illustrates how racism is still infused in our policy decisions, primarily since the Affordable Care Act was the um, product of the Obama administration. And we know that lots of people um, oppose his policies for no other reason than he was um, our first black president. And so we are trying to highlight the um, issues that the pandemic has really brought to bear in terms of people not having access to health insurance. Um, I'll just give you an example in terms of um, health insurance being tied to your employment. If people had an employer sponsored plan and they've lost their jobs, they're now uninsured and they may fall in what's called the coverage gap. And those are people who don't qualify for the traditional Medicaid program um, because they don't fit within the uh, categorical eligibility groups, um, but they don't earn enough to qualify for subsidies on the um, federal exchange or the um, marketplace. And so those people really have no option. And these are some of the same people who may still be working on those uh, so-called essential jobs where they are still going to work in hospitals or in um, people's homes or delivering food or working um, in the public in some way um, to still provide services to people who um, are are still able to go out and and pick up food or go to the grocery store and that sort of thing. And so they're coming in contact with the public in a way where they're not being protected in terms of having health insurance in case they develop symptoms and need to uh, seek medical treatment. And so really trying to highlight who are the people who um, are really showing up and doing their best, who the system is failing. Um, And so we want to educate Tennesseans specifically about who those people are and what the needs are and try to ensure that they have access to healthcare by expanding Medicaid. Um, Expansion would um, really help to drive down health disparities because black Americans are one and a half times more likely to be uninsured than white Americans and less than half of private sector employers offer health insurance to their employees. And we know that health costs are not affordable without insurance. And so providing this coverage would really help to drive down that disparity in terms of uninsured rates and help people get access to the treatment that they need. We also know that Medicaid as a program has been credited with helping to lift people out of poverty. And it makes sense if you're able to access um, health care when you need it for those preventative things, then you can um, be well enough to go to school and get a good education. And you can be well enough to um, have a job and be able to support yourself. And so all roles really lead back to health. If you don't have your health, then you're not able to um, really uh, lift yourself out of poverty. Um, and also, even if you fall on hard times, um, we realize in the age of the pandemic that having a safety net is really important because there are people who never thought that they would need Medicaid or any public benefit program. Um, we also at the Tennessee Justice Center work on nutrition programs, so food stamps, um, which are currently known as SNAP or the WIC program. There are, um, these safety net programs are in place for a reason, um, so that in times like this, be it an economic crisis or a public health crisis, these programs are there to catch people um, when, they, when they need that support. And so we're really just trying to help people understand that Medicaid expansion is one of those uh, things that would really provide or expand the safety net for people in Tennessee so that we can get through these hard times and not fall further behind in terms of health disparities.
0: Thank you I mean, that was a um, kind of an ex- a, an excellent synopsis of the issue and um, a, a purposeful intervention and, and why Medicaid makes sense and you know I, I'd like to underscore your point that most people don't think they that they will need the safety net um, who are not currently using it, but it doesn't take um, really much for us all to be in that position, and I'm hoping that people understand um, and are more sympathetic, if you will, um, with you know the cause in um, in these social justice issues. Now that many more people have been affected um, by the pandemic and the lack of access and you know limited transportation and uh, lack of testing, and you know we can go on and on and on on the on um, the uh, the inequities that COVID nineteen um, has has. Shown in our healthcare system overall. Um, so, thank you, thank you for that explanation. Um, to close, uh, I'd like to ask: um, What, for you, this could be either personally or professionally, uh, what has been the biggest struggle for you um, during the pandemic? And two, what do you hope that that we learn from this? How can we come out on the other side better?
1: Ooh, that's a heavy one. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest struggle for me, I'll I'll say professionally because personally, I think I'm I'm in a good position. I have a home, I have food, I still have a job that I can do from home, so I'm doing okay personally. Professionally, I would say that the biggest struggle has been to um, adapt to the surge in need. Um, if you work in the nonprofit space you know that there's there's a great need. There's lots of people, even prior to the pandemic, who really struggle to meet their, their basic needs and they don't have um, access to necessities. Um, there are so many people who are living at or, or near poverty levels um, who really need um, and rely on the government as well as uh, charitable space in order to get by. And so with the pandemic, it's really been um, difficult because we're now seeing millions more people who now are looking to the government and looking to nonprofit organizations for help, but the resources haven't really grown to to meet those needs. And so it's it's really um, daunting to try to figure out how do you help as many people as possible under these circumstances? Um, But something that's been encouraging that I hope that we can carry forward even after we get through the pandemic has been the individuals who are really becoming um, problem solvers and using creative solutions to to issues that many people may not even be aware of. Um, For example, I am a part of a home visiting alliance, and I was on a call with that group um, a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about Um, issues concerning people not being able to buy diapers, even if they have um, the the resources to go to the store and get them because of hoarding, the materials that they need for their babies aren't available in the store. So diapers and formula and things like that. And so there are um, staff people who work for agencies that provide home visiting services who are able to do drop-offs and so they just they have a a stockpile at their agencies and they're able to deliver those things to people in need and just leave them at their doorstep and when i heard them talk about that um it kind of brought tears to my eyes because i was like i didn't even think about that and so i hope that as people hear these stories that they realize that this is everyday life for a lot of people and after um we're able to Return to our normal lives or the new normal, I hope people don 't forget that there are still marginalized populations that really need support um, not just during a time of pandemic but just um, in their everyday lives, and so that we can as a nation become more empathetic and more mindful of the struggles of everyday Americans
0: thank you i i, I am I am also Reassured um, by the innovation and the ingenuity of a lot of a lot of groups, and I, I hope I hope we will come together and do better as a country after this. Um, thank you so much. Uh, as always, I am continually impressed and inspired by you and the work that you do. Um, I hope our listeners will go over to uh, the Tennessee Justice Center's website, um, check out what their team is doing around health equity, um, as well as more information about Medicaid expansion in Tennessee. Um, And uh, with that, uh, we will close and I will talk to you later. Thanks again for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.